Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Well, I want to introduce you guys to uh, Lyndon Wall. He's been here before. He, he was a guest speaker uh, some months back. And uh, it's good to have you again here, Lyndon. Good to be here. Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, he runs a ministry called Refresh Ministries that uh, ministers to pastors and their spouses, correct? You got it. So we appreciate it. Uh, what you're doing, and, and you were a pastor, have been a pastor for years. Yes, so. yes, I was a pastor for 14 years, did some missionary work, so now we're just bringing soul care to Christian leaders. Well, we sure appreciate it. All right. All right, give Lyndon a, a warm people's welcome. Well, I'm happy to be with you this morning. I have... Uh, enjoyed traveling around the peace country lately. I think this is the 12th church I'm speaking in or the 12th time I'm speaking in a church since January. So I get to see what's going on in the region and it's really happy, I'm really happy to be here and just get a sense of what God is doing among you. I, uh, it was about 15 years ago when we started Refresh Ministry. We're right in the throes of making that decision at this time. And so uh, God has been good to us, and uh, we've sought to encourage and equip people in ministry to uh, just thrive in what they do and enjoy it and to do well and to lead well. And so that's uh, the work we've given ourselves to. But I do want to highlight something for you that may be of interest. As I travel around, inevitably, people will come and talk to me after the service, and they'll start to tell me their story. And it, often the story really boils down to one thing, is that they've had some very difficult things happen to them in the past. It might be some abuse, it might be some setback, whatever it is, they've had this very difficult thing happen in the past, and that has tainted their life. One of the most gut-wrenching stories that I heard was a lady who had a dream always of being a professional artist, and she showed me some of the work that she could do. It was amazing. But you know what? She never went for her dream simply because of the great abuse she suffered at the hands of her mother when she was growing up. She could never get past it. So we're doing a seminar called Rise Up, June 24th. And if that would interest you or someone you know, uh, keep that in mind. There's information. We have our books there, and we have information about that seminar there. And we invite you to consider it. Well, I've come with one message this morning. Your Jesus is amazing. We're going to find out a little bit of how amazing he is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And I'd like to read that with you. I think it's in your bulletin. But I'm going to read from my copy of the scriptures. I'm going to start in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds, 
and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Spirit, open our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We are living in a time of incursions. An incursion is a hostile entrance or invasion into a place or territory. We've had the Chinese balloon that came down the coast in February, a coast of Canada, and floated across the continent. And we wonder, what's this incursion in our airspace? And we lose confidence about our security. We've had incursions into our political space, and we wonder how secure our political system is. Here in Grand Prairie and across our province over the last few weeks, we've had these incursions of fires coming in and people have been displaced. Some have lost their property and lots of people have just been made to feel insecure by these incursions of fires. But I'm not interested or not going to focus on those incursions this morning. I want to talk to you about the incursions that aren't happening in our airspace, in our political space, or in our living space, but I want to talk to you about the incursions that are happening in our faith space. We are being challenged about what we believe. You know, years ago, when I was taking my studies, I was assigned to read a book called The American Jesus. Of all the books I read, and I read a lot of them, but of all the books I've read, I, for some reason, this one stuck with me. And the reason it stuck with me is because the author chronicled down through the history of America how the culture had infiltrated what people believed and taught about Jesus. Culture had largely shaped a lot of the emphasis of that time. And that made me wonder, what about, what is our culture what is it doing to shape our belief these days? I think in Canada, a lot of our common belief is that Jesus was a has-been Jesus. Do you know, on our parliament buildings, I believe it says, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. Back at the start of our country, there was a stronger conviction about the value of who Jesus was. Jesus often is believed as an enlightened man, but more and more he's being seen as a dangerous person and people who follow him having kind of out of their, out of the normal beliefs. You know, in the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations, one uh, with a man, one with a lady, and what's happening in their life is that their faith is starting to slip. The incursions of culture, the incursions of opinions of other people, whatever has happened, circumstances, is starting to eat away at their confidence in who Jesus is and what he does. Is your faith beginning to slip? Are you being influenced by the culture of our time? Maybe your faith is becoming more of an afterthought to you, or maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe your concern for people who don't know Christ is diminishing a little bit. Maybe you're losing confidence in what Jesus has done and who he is. Well, 
incursions are coming into our faith at a rate probably not experienced in our nation's history. But I will have good news for you that this is not something new and God hasn't been taken unaware. It doesn't pull a surprise on him. In fact, the letter of Revelation really was written to seven churches and most of the churches were being strongly influenced by their culture. The incursions of their culture were shaping who they were and what they were believing. And so they were waning in their zeal. They were compromising their morality. They were sliding into complacency, false teaching, and fear. And so the Apostle John, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, writes this incredible letter, and he sends a message to them. And I think if you boil it down to one phrase, his message to these people whose faith was starting to slip is simply this, your Jesus is amazing. I'm going to give you three reasons what... Uh, why he says that in this text. And the first one is this, Jesus is amazing for who he is. It says he is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. First of all, he's the faithful witness. You can believe what he says. That's really what it means. When Jesus says something, it is true. We live in a time of fake news. We live in a time of disinformation. How many of you have read something? Boy, that's got to be true and then find out later. Wow, that was just way out of whack. And there's story after story where we just wonder, could that be true? Is it true? Is that what they're saying true? Contrast that with your amazing Jesus. He is the faithful witness. You know, when somebody asks or somebody wonders, why, Lyndon, would you say Jesus can be trusted in what he says. And I would say this. When you read the book of Matthew, up to the time of his crucifixion, four times Jesus said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. Now, if somebody came to you after service and said, you know what? I'm going to be killed today, but on Wednesday, I'm coming back. How many of you would think, Right? This guy's a little bit crazy. But four times in the book of Matthew, he says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise the third day. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise. I'm going to die. I'm gonna be, my life is going to be taken and I'm coming back. And he said that four times. And he could have changed the story as he stood before Pilate, where it was all hanging in the balance. His life was hanging in the balance. He said, okay, okay, okay. You got me. You know, I've just been pulling one over. No, he went with his word. And the third day, he rose again. Jesus keeps his word. You can trust what he says. He's also the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to conquer death. Many people doubt the resurrection. There's two reasons. I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe that Jesus conquered death. And the first is the transforming effect it had on the disciples. You see the disciples after the crucifixion, they are in hiding, they're cowering. They are doing everything to avoid these people who took Jesus' life. But after 
They meet the resurrected Christ. You can't hold them back. They're standing in front of thousands. They are just speaking truth to the people who actually took Jesus' life. There is nothing that is stopping them. And that to me proves someone who goes from cowering to confident, something dramatic has happened. And for the disciples, that simply was the resurrection of Jesus. But I also believe because I see the power of this living Jesus in the lives of others. You know, when I was pastor, one of the saddest things I had to deal with was I got called to do a funeral. And the person that had passed away was in a single vehicle accident. A young man, about 22, had been drinking and he went off the road and he lost his life. And I still remember his mother dealing with the grief of that and how she just had no strength. Her knees kept buckling. I saw her a couple weeks after and her knees were still buckling. The grief was too much. But she did not know the Lord Jesus who had conquered death. Compare that with a couple we knew who knew the Lord Jesus. They lost a young son. And in their time of grief, they grieved. They grieved deeply, but they grieved with hope. Why? Because they knew the one who was the firstborn from the dead. And so I see the transformation in the lives of the disciples, and I see the difference in the lives of people who know the Lord Jesus. And I say, yes, I believe that Jesus is amazing because he rose from the dead. Also, it talks about Jesus being the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, how many of you wonder in our time? You look at the news. How many of you wonder, is Jesus really the ruler of the kings of the earth? Any, anybody? I'm the only one. You know, we look at that statement and we say, is it really true? Well, Again, I want to put a couple of things to your attention. First of all, Jesus rules in our world through our prayers. Do you know in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul urges the people of God to pray for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives. The apostle, believed, apostle Paul believed that prayers intervened and prayers brought the authority of Christ to the earth. And he said, you can influence public policy through your prayers. How many of you would like to influence public policy? Are you going to vote tomorrow? We would like to influence public policy. In the Lord Jesus, you have a way of doing that through your prayers. But I also want to say that when I look at the scriptures, I see that, uh, you know, the Lord gives the leaders a certain amount of rope. And then he says, that's it. And we see this in the Old Testament with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the history of the world. And he had this incredible uh, campaign, incredible organization, control of the world at that time. And one day he was looking at all this greatness. And it says in, 
in Daniel chapter 4, is this not the great Babylon I built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven said, this is what I decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live like with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass until you acknowledge that my that the Most High is sovereign on the king, over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. So picture this, Nebuchadnezzar comes out. He comes out of his uh, bedroom looking on, on his balcony and he's looking over these amazing gardens and he's looking over the power, all these things he's orchestrated. And he says, look what I have done. And God speaks to him and said, well, you're gonna spend seven years eating grass. And so, because of his pride, he was taken from his throne. God only gives so much rope to the leaders of this world. We have a, a second example, and that is in, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 12. And I, it talks about Herod, who was wearing his royal robes, sat on the throne, and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Wow. You know, back in 1997, I was able to go on a tour of the Holy Land. And we went to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and there's this amazing Roman amphitheater there. And it faces out to the sea, but, you know, it's still in great, great shape. And so our tour group went there. We sang, and the harmony in that place, the acoustics in that place, was just stunning. And somebody could be down on the floor and speak. You could hear them clearly. It was an amazing, an amazing place. But, you know, about halfway up the amphitheater was a platform. And that's where the dignitaries would sit. And our tour guide was explaining uh, about the whole place, but he said, remember Acts chapter 12, when Herod came out and he received the praise, but he did not acknowledge God, and he was eaten with worms. It was interesting. The tour director says, that is the place where that happened. You know, when you tour Israel, you will say, well, we think it happened here, or we think it happened there. But in this case, he says, that is the place where that happened. You know, God only gives so much rope to the kings of the earth, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, so he is amazing for who he is. Jesus is also amazing for what he does. He loves us. It's the present continuous tense, the starting point. There is a starting point, but it goes on and on and on. You know, Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus proved his love for you at the cross, but that love is extended to you day after day after day. It's good today. It's good tomorrow. It's good next week. It's good 20 years from now. His love extends to you day after day after day. We sometimes need to learn that on deeper levels. A couple of years ago, I was working with a, a missionary who had had a stellar career, just an amazing career. If you put her career up beside other people's career, you think, wow, she did great. 
But she went into this time of deep, dark discouragement. She described it as a blackness of her soul. And so we started to explore what was going on with that. And at the bottom of it, she believed, after all the years, that she was only loved if she was fixing things. She learned as a young child that she was loved when she fixed things. When she helped the family get along, she fixed this problem, that problem, she would receive love. And she started to see God in that way. And so she thought God only wanted to talk to her in prayer when she was fixing things. And she was coming to a place in her life where her health and her career were coming to an end and she couldn't fix things anymore. She rediscovered the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus and her life was changed from that deep dark place to a place of joy. Jesus is amazing because he loves you. Some of you doubt that you could be loved, but he loves you despite of what you've done. He loves you. And it's good today, it's good tomorrow, and it's good every day from here. Jesus frees us. He frees us from our sins. Sin puts us in the prison of God's wrath. It enslaves us with destructive patterns of behavior. But he frees us by his sacrifice of his blood. His death took the de death we deserve, and God applies his payment to our account. And so Jesus sacrifices, frees us from the penalty of sin, but he also frees us from the penchant to sin. Let me explain. I've enjoyed the freedom of Jesus that he gives a lot in my life. It began when I was 60 years old. Our youth group was on a camp out up in the Crow's Nest Mountains near uh, in the Crow's Nest Pass area of, B of Alberta and BC. And up on that mountain is when I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me from my sin and be my savior. I can still remember the just sense of being washed inside. I remember the sense of peace that I had. Just an amazing experience with God. But I also knew that early in my life, there are things that I struggled with, and there was one sin in particular I wanted to get past, and I just couldn't get past it. So one of the things I did is I memorized Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And the essence of that passage is this. Sin shall not be your master. And so I memorized that and I meditated on it and I struggled. I, one day I just, just, oh man, I just can't get past this. And if you would ask me if sin's my master, I'd have to say yes, sin is my master. But one day the Holy Spirit took that from my head to my heart and you know on that day I was free. And I've never struggled with that again. Jesus frees us, not only from the penalty of sin, but he also frees us from the penchant to sin. He also lifts us to places of honor. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. The majority of people in the Roman Empire at this time were slaves. They belonged to somebody else. And so they were subject to all kinds of things. They were beaten, they were bossed, they were belittled, they were cast aside like insignificant pawns. This is the people to whom the gospel often first came to. Yet in Christ we see this 
lifting to a place of honor and dignity. They are a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone who helps others, connects with God. One night when I was serving as a pastor, there was this loud pounding at my door. I was wondering, I was just come home for a nice relaxing evening. But I went to the door and I found this distressed man. He was totally stressed out. I'd never met him before in my life. But he must have heard I was a pastor. But he says, I need to receive Jesus as my savior. <laughs> and he said, my house is haunted. He had lived over in another town near here and then he had moved to our town trying to get away from these haunting spirits. But the spirits came with him and he in desperation came to see me. Well, that night, I led him to receive Christ as Savior and to renounce the spirits that he had invited. You know, he had hated his stepdad so much that he invited dark spirits into his life so they could get back at his stepdad. So we dealt with that and we went back to his house. His little boy had been tormented in his house by these beings that were bothering. We cleansed the house. But what a privilege. And all of you who know the name of the Lord Jesus here today, you have been lifted to a place of honor where you can make a difference. You can help people connect. That's one of the amazing things Jesus does. He loves us. He frees us. And he gives us a place of honor. Are you enjoying the honor that he has bestowed on you? I have a friend who pastored for many years in Chicago. And uh, he told me the story of a lady who was so fraught with anxiety that she actually had to be institutionalized. She just couldn't handle it anymore. And while she was there, someone brought her a copy, I think it was that she could listen to, of the hymn, The Love of God. And so she started listening to this hymn, The Love of God, and something happened. She suddenly realized how loved she was. She realized how cared for she was. And she got up and she walked out of that place, a transformed person. She started to discover how amazing Jesus is. He's amazing for who he is, and he is amazing for what he is does. But Jesus is also amazing for what he will do. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. We get really three quick insights about Jesus' return. The Bible says he's coming back and a lot of people in our day say, nah, it's not going to happen. That's just a fairy tale. And I remind myself, well, he said I was going to be killed and rise the third day, and he pulled that one off. So I have a lot of confidence that he's going to do this one too. But we learn that he's coming back. We learn that he's going to make himself visible to all the people. It says he's going to be visible to all peoples. Some people say it's, it's possible now because of our, our news media, you can see what's happening on the other side of the world. Maybe that's how it's going to happen. I don't know but he's going to make himself visible to all people. And then he's going to elicit a powerful response from all people. There will be a time of great joy for those who know him. 
The Bible teaches about this great reunion that's going to happen. Of those who have known Christ, they're going to come back and meet with those who are on the earth. It's going to be this incredible moment of reunion and joy. But this text talks about those who will mourn. They will realize that they did not prepare for his coming and they will mourn. Back in 1986, you can tell I'm getting pretty old now. But back in 1986, I was invited to serve in famine relief in Ethiopia. There was these massive famines that were going on and many, many people dying of starvation. So I responded to that and I went over and was part of a famine relief team. And uh, so we served a lot of people, uh, giving them food, sustaining them. It was really a remarkable time. But one of the things that was going on was that Ethiopia at that time was ruled by a communist government. And uh, some of their policies were really, really tough on the people. It wasn't just a famine, I can assure you. But in the north of the country, there was this battle going on with the Eritreans. They just recently had another battle in the last few months. But the Ethiopian government was running out of soldiers. They didn't have people to send to the front. Nobody wanted to go to that front of that war and, and battle. So what they did was they sent out their recruiters and they would just go grab guys from the villages and force them to go to war. They would, it was almost a sure death sentence. They would, if they came back, they were severely maimed. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Well, one day we were... Uh, going to this remote village. We went and we camped on the outskirts. The next day we were going to distribute food to the people. And it was just before the sun came up, I heard this horrible sound. I didn't know what it was, but it was this wailing. It turned out that what had happened, that in the night, the soldiers had come and grabbed the young men and were hauling them off to war. And what we heard were the cries of grief and mourning because the people had not prepared for that. You know, the word was out. Everybody knew the government was coming and grabbing the soldiers. But the people in this village did not prepare. And so there was great mourning. You know, the scripture is telling us here that at some point in history, there is going to be an international day of mourning because our Lord is going to come back and people are going to realize, I didn't prepare. And there's going to be a big amount of grief. So when your faith starts to slip, remember that Jesus will return and remember that you've been preparing for that time. So my thought to you this morning is resist the incursions into your faith by reminding yourself how amazing Jesus is. What are the threats to your faith at this time? Maybe it's the media bombardment. I was talking with a person recently. They've just been seeing what's in the media. They've been seeing the arguments, the arguments against Christ, the arguments against Scripture, and slowly and slowly their faith is eroding. Maybe it's the mocking of a co-worker or a family member. Maybe it's the disappointment with how things are going. Maybe it's a disappointment with other believers. I want to encourage you to take time to meditate on Revelation chapter 1 and think about how amazing 
your Jesus is. Resist the incursions into your faith by reminding yourself how amazing he is. Let me ask you today, there might be some of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And so I want to encourage you to ask him to take away your sin, to bring you that freedom, to bring you that peace, and to give you a place of honor in your life. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Years ago, a story unfolded in Windsor Palace. There's been a lot of drama around Windsor Palace this last, years, last year or so. But it was during the time of Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria had a chaplain come into the chapel at Windsor Palace and speak. And he chose that day to speak on the return of Christ. And after hearing what he had to say, Queen Victoria said, Oh, how I wish the Lord would come back in my lifetime. And someone asked, well, why? Why do you want him to come back in your lifetime? And she said, I would so love to lay my crown at his feet. You see, she understood how amazing Jesus is. Remind yourself, remind yourself, we live in a time of a gazillion incursions into our faith. They are relentless and intense like we've not experienced in our Canadian history. But resist them by reminding yourself how amazing Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've just touched the service of how amazing you are. You are amazing in who you are, and we forget that. You are amazing in what you do for us. We forget that, and you are amazing in that you are coming back again, and we sometimes forget that. So by your Spirit, remind us and move on our hearts. Should there be uh, someone who needs to know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them the impulse to open their heart to you. And for those who know you, remind them this week of how amazing you are. We bless you, we worship you, and we thank you for your great love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.